welcome to the Ghost of Doctor podcast. I'm your host, Clint Roper, and with me is... Kurt Roper. Your other host. We don't believe in co-host. Co-host has connotations. Yeah, like, like I host it with you. Yeah, but like at a subservient level. Yeah. I guess we should you know say what? co-host has prefixes. Prefixes. No, prefix doesn't sound like the right word either. <laughs> I mean, it does. Co. Co is a prefix, I suppose. All right, let's get into this. That's right. I'm with my co-host. Kurt Roper. I'd like to welcome you to the castle. Uh, you know, we actually wanted to uh, get Dracula's castle, but uh, we were outbid by a person who will remain nameless. And toward whom I do not uh, have any, you know, unkind uh, feelings, even though he was maybe part of the second best ghost hunting show ever. Yeah, and um, I mean, we won't we won't name him, but it rhymes with Bilbo Baggins. So <laughs> yes, yes, it rhymes with Bilbo Baggins. Yeah, no, we thought it was a good time to get out of the U.S., and so we said, hey, what's more isolated? than a castle in the Carpathians. So luckily, uh, Airbnb had one more available. And you know what? It's not that expensive. And your money goes a long way here. And uh, it's super isolated, in fact, because there's only like 30 villagers. Yeah, they all look angry, though. Yeah, they don't like us. I don't know why. Well, there's a, those, the children are always smiling, so they, they probably like us, but no one else. And all the children are blonde, which is odd. Uh, let's, uh, let's get started. I, I thought today, for the first episode, we could talk about, uh, slashers. Slashers, I like slashers, yeah. Yeah, slasher films. Uh, from the 90s. <clears throat> what? The 90s? From the 90s, yes, specifically from the 90s. I'm thinking only from the 90s. Do you want to, like, bisect the decade in any specific way also, or? I mean, no, it, it pretty much starts with Scream, doesn't it? It kind of does, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could argue that um, Wes Craven's New Nightmare was probably it. It didn't. It brought the idea of a dying franchise back, which was considered a slasher in A Nightmare on Elm Street. I think you can make an argument that uh, A Nightmare on Elm Street might be a slasher film, but I don't know that A New Nightmare is because a lot of people look at that body count, and I think there there are, while there are plenty of people die, it seems more incidental, like they're not being stalked. It's happening more or less in the, like he didn't stalk the babysitter in the hospital. The babysitter's watching over the kid that he wants to kidnap or steal into the dream birth and be reborn by. You know what? I got to rewatch that movie. But the point is, is she's killed because she's there with the kid. He, she wasn't stalked. And there's really a low body count. It's more of a... It's more of just a novel idea Wes Craven had about how Freddy might fit into the real world and how he might be able to play with some of the postmodern concepts uh, that were becoming more and more popular, I guess, in the 90s. Well, that's good. Yeah, uh, so yeah, we'll begin it with Scream. Uh, what year is that? Well, I'd like to start with Scream. But I think first we kind of have to talk about a slashers in general. Okay. It's kind of hard to avoid that. Uh, so, first of all, like a lot of people consider the first slasher to be John Carpenter's Halloween. And they put up the, uh, the pre-slashers or uh, proto-slashers as being a few, a few different movies. Uh, some people say Psycho, Black Christmas, and Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And so, if you're going to understand what a slasher is, I guess, based on how we are defining a slasher, then you have to look at what makes those films not slashers, what makes the slasher period, which really is from 1978, and by the time you get 10 years past, by the time 88 rolls around, that genre has been done to death, and people are kind of getting tired of it. Which okay, so, yeah, yeah. What, what makes Psycho not a slasher? It's not, it's not a slasher. You know, it's a thriller, it has... I guess we should talk about what our aims are as far as, like, spoilers and things like that. Because it occurs to me that we don't want to spoil a movie. And Psycho might be an ex- exception for some people. Yeah, it's, it. I think maybe we can we can decide, like, just like the U.S. declassifies movies after 70 years. I think we can spoil them after, I don't know, 50. Yeah, so we're like the FBI. We just declassify stuff long after it's useful information. Yes. Yeah. So, like, if it was useful to make a decision that was important, 
we wouldn't declassify yeah, it. Yeah, just long enough for anyone that had a hand in the decision-making to be dead. That's right. Okay, good deal. So let's, I feel like we've done this backwards a little bit, so we're going to just uh, say say this. I, I wanted to, and I'm just now thinking about doing it because we almost brought up a spoiler. That's me shifting in my chair in, in the castle. Um, it's lovely. It's a ox blood. It is an ox blood, yes. And uh, the uh, villagers, or at least the one that sold, uh, like helped us uh, look through the place, look over the place, uh, uh, told me it was made with real ox blood. So that's pretty nice. Um, what are we doing? Okay, so I want to talk about the like what this podcast is and what it isn't. I guess a little bit. And now that we're halfway through, kind of beginning to talk about what we're going to talk about today, it seems like a, a mistake to do this, but we're going to keep rolling and doing it anyway. So. Uh, I think we have a couple of things we should stand by while we do this podcast. Uh, number one, uh, I don't think we should shit on people for their opinions. Yeah. If I disagree with someone's opinion, I don't think that's a valid reason to shit on somebody. And I'll try to uh, preface everything I say with this is an opinion or in my opinion. Not that I have to do that, but you know, it's it's not incumbent upon me to do that for other people, but it does help with... Um, making sure people know that it's not an attack on their opinions because I have an opinion. Okay, uh, so that's the first thing we don't shit on. We don't shit on people for their opinions. Uh, we may disagree, but we don't shit on them. Number two, uh, we don't shit on movies. Yeah, movies are hard to make. It's hard to get anything made. It's hard to write a movie, a screenplay. It's hard to get that produced. And even the worst, most boring which is the biggest sin of a movie to be boring, um, cash grab of a film, somewhere in that production is people that believed in it, or if nothing else, people that banked on it. And it's, it's, it's just amazing that any movie gets made. Even if a movie, if you think a movie's really bad, that might have been studio involvement. Or it might be that everybody was so excited that, that something got greenlit and they, they ha- were having, you know, they had jobs because they have to pay a mortgage and they have a family. Everybody just kind of did it and didn't give much thought to was it going to be any good. It's a, it's a big machine and, uh, you know, so this is a perfect segue into number three. What's number three? Tangents. Tangents, yes. There are going to be tangents. Uh, I don't apologize for them. And you know what? I can promise you this. They will be horror-related. Okay, I can't promise that because sometimes they won't be horror-related and sometimes I'll just feel like talking about something and going on a tangent. What I promise you is that I will not talk about, like, I tried a new cup of coffee and this is why it's so fantastic. Yeah, a coffee's never changed my life. No. But then now that I'm thinking about it, if coffee does change your life, do you feel like you might talk about it? Yeah, on the off chance that happens, I'll definitely talk about it. Okay, so for tangents, we're not we're not making any promises. It's going to happen. <laughs> Nothing's rolled out. Nothing's rolled out. That's number three. Is there really? Are there any others? Don't be mean to people. Yeah, the golden rule. What's the golden rule? Treat people like you want to treat them. I think that's it. I think that's covered by the first and second. Uh, Don't shit on people. Although it's not covered by the third because there's some boring people. Like I can understand when people might get be a little bored. When people are just talking about something that's not at all related to the topic, like we have been for the last eh, however many minutes. But you know what? I'm, I'm telling you up front or somewhere parallel to up front that this will happen. And so if you're not okay with it. And we don't need to have this conversation again. Yeah, we don't have to have the conversation again. Although if you come in on episode 16, let's say, or 17, uh, and, and, and you heard didn't hear this, you might be like, these guys go on a lot of tangents. I promise, with the exception of this tangent, I will try to make them somewhat interesting. All of this is happening in real conversation time. We're not, we're not doing editing. Uh, we're not, uh, we're not doing anything sticky. That sounds weird. <laughs> but uh, well, it's, like the humidity is surprising. It's surprisingly bad in the castle, actually. So there might be some sticky uh, antics. But um, yeah, it turns out. Uh castles are not well insulated they're not no yeah drafty they only have window seals yeah window seals and tapestries have you have you, by the way have you had a chance to look at some of the tapestries hung on the walls here i think some of them are either hung upside down or i don't know what they are 
it's very possible you don't know what they're what they are but some of them are hung with portraits of people who are hung upside down and they look right side up so maybe that's what's confusing you that could be it that could be it okay so that with all of that out of the way what this is and what it isn't uh it is horror but we reserve the right to talk about anything horror related and sometimes to go on tangents about things that aren't horror related uh with that in mind Let's talk about slashers, very specifically new age slashers, 90 slashers, or I guess you might want to call them neo slashers, which sounds weird. I think it postmodern. Postmodern is pretty correct, I think. Uh, so we're starting with Scream. Now, a lot of people talk about 90 slashers. They may think uh, Candyman. And so I'm going to ask you a question because I've been talking for way too long. Uh, and you're the you're the host also. Of co, uh, so what might be a '90s movie in your mind that's that someone might call a slasher that we're probably not going to talk about today? Oh, uh, Candyman! You just actually said said it, and I'll tell you why. Um, because the victims in Candyman are random people. Usually, um, they sometimes in the series they they have some connections with the main character. Uh, there's never a it never feels like there's a chase. It never feels like Candyman is an undiscovered entity until the end of the movie. It doesn't have certain slasher qualities, and it's just way too supernatural, I mean, in, in some ways, to be a slasher. Yeah, it lacks some of the quote-unquote tropes of slasher films. But also, yeah, I would say that it's it kind of is a little – it's a little highbrow for slashers. Not saying there can't be highbrow slashers. But definitely posts, I guess, a certain point in the 80s and before Scream, you didn't see a lot of it. But I'd also say that it definitely fits within kind of a supernatural or um, urban legend, cursed type ghost story. More than it does, to me, seem like a slasher. So as much as I love Candyman, uh, we will not, absolutely will not talk about it today. All right, Scream. Right, Scream. Okay, so first I want to get your impressions of Scream. Uh, because th- and this is important to note, I I come up I came up with this topic. Sometimes Kurt will come up with a topic, and I will have no idea that we're going to talk about that topic. Sometimes we'll come up with topics together, but the point is, is I have no idea what he's going to say about Scream. So I want to get his input first. So what is your input on Scream? I remember uh, the first time I saw Scream. We were kids. We were in the movie store with our dad. We picked it up. The The person behind the counter, and this was back in the day when there was still uh, video stores and people behind the counter, were people that got that job just to be around movies. Every person that worked behind that counter loved movies. And it was recommended as soon as we brought it up to the register. And I remember being so excited and watching it. And it was just such a game changer as far as like movies in general in my life. The subversion of my expectations I didn't know what my expectations were at that age, but watching movies and television from a young age had 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 definitely put things in my mind that you do and you don't do in a movie. And Scream kind of like turned that on its head for me. And it was, you know, it wasn't the most subversive horror movie ever. Um, maybe the one of the most self-referential, but it definitely made me. Uh, it was definitely a big moment. I, I remember it till today. And I, yeah, I don't know if it's the first horror movie to be self-referential or quote-unquote uh, postmodern, but I think that was kind of the 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 big point, the big the big deal about the movie is how clever it was, and it was more than like a wink and a nod to the audience. It was really playing with what you did, what the slasher film was all about, while still being a pretty like a pretty great slasher film. Like, yes, it's a wink and a nod. But it's also, if you are like I was, I was probably too young and to un- like understand what a postmodern or like a, what a, like a kind of a take that was more tongue-in-cheek was on, on, on a genre or whatever. But it was still very entertaining, and it was still, even without all of that context, it was a really good slasher. And so much so that I think that when, I think that when they, when, um, I Know What You Did Last Summer came out, I could tell there was automatically a difference between those two movies, but I couldn't, like, I couldn't express that difference at the time, which I think the difference now is that one is very obviously self-referen- self-referential, 
is uh, is very aware of what it is and what, that it's a movie, that it's in the genre of, of horror, that it's a slasher specifically, and is telling you what it's going to do and, and, and doing different things and somehow kind of still treading the path of the slasher, which is still really cle- which is just really clever. And the other one's a way more straightforward slasher. But it's important we, we bring up both of those movies. Yeah, I agree. Um, both those movies were written by Kevin Williamson. A lot of people uh, think of Scream as a Wes Craven vehicle, and um, that's fair because he directed it and he was a big draw. Obviously, his name carried a lot of weight, and his his actual vision as a director uh, definitely changed the course of the movie. Having said that, when I think about the Scream franchise in general, and we'll talk, touch on this um, because the lifespan of this this uh, genre of 90s slashers is is so short. About four years. Yeah, it's so short. Um, and you could argue that it's got three or maybe even two good years in it. Right. Um, but Kevin Williamson was not around for the third Scream, and that's a movie I watched in theaters, and it was hard to watch compared to the, the first two. And the, the second one had those traps of a sequel, and was it as good as the first one? No. But there was something clearly missing from the third one, and that was Kevin Williamson's writing. Yeah, but you know what wasn't missing from the third one? Jay and motherfucking Silent Bob. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, those are <laughs> Scream. The Scream universe uh, canonically exists within the VSQ universe. That's just uh, that's just canon, guys. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's fair. You know, we don't need that to be confirmed by anybody from either side. We just know that's true because. Jay and Silent Bob, the characters played by Kevin Smith and Jason Mewes, were in Scream Three. That just—that's how that works. They're—they're—they're they're, they're forever entwined. Yeah, I think, um, and they're—they're they're not like Kevin Smith and Jay Mewes either. They're—they're they're actually just the characters. There's a lot we could unpack there, and but maybe in a future episode, hopefully not about Scream Three, um, or th- probably not about the Skew Universe. So, if you haven't seen Scream, which would be fairly amazing because I feel like... I, okay, by the way, I have ruined Scream for somebody before. I told somebody the plot of Scream. Not really. It's, it's hard. Okay. So, I was watching um, I was watching Scream with two or three people that I did not know had never seen Scream before. And they so casually mentioned, hey, yeah, let's watch Scream, that I had no idea it was their first viewing. And also, it's been like... 24 years, uh, 23 years at the time since that movie came out. So I was just not expecting them to not have seen it. And they watched tons of way, way, way more niche uh, like films, horror films. These people knew what Meet the Feebles were, which isn't a horror film, but is terrifying in many ways. Uh, but they hadn't seen Scream, so that was kind of surprising. But I made I kind of made a joke. It's like, ah, but isn't it funny that you find out that person is the killer? Uh, that even though they did this really clever thing, and uh, and yes, I'm trying to not spoil Scream. I'm sorry. That's one of, one of the things. I'm, we're not going to go scene for scene for a, with a movie here. Uh, but they just both of them looked at me like, oh man, <laughs> you ruined the movie. And I was like, ah, oh, I'm sorry. I just thought everybody had seen Scream or had at least seen Scary Movie, which is more or less a almost a beat-for-beat beat, uh, parody of Scream. And they had both seen Scary Movie, so I feel less bad about it. But, but yeah, yeah so I did ruin it's Scream. It's the same. It's, uh, yeah, anyway, not the point. Yeah, you don't want to ruin it for anybody. The funny thing is about that is that um, Scream, they probably spent like their entire lives hearing how good a movie Scream was just for it to be ruined like 20-something years later by you. I, I feel bad about it. You did. Yeah, I would. Okay. You know, it's it's fine. Those people, they forgave me, or if they didn't, it doesn't matter because they're they're they're, they're tens of thousands of miles away, so it's okay. Um. So, so Scream is nineteen ninety six, right? Yes. Let's talk about the what I consider to be the big three in the new the new slashers, the ninety slashers movies. The big three for me, okay, are uh, Scream. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know what you did last summer, and can you can you guess what the third one is? Yes. What is it? Urban Legend. It is Urban Legend. Which is strange, because you said with Candyman we were going to be talking about Urban Legends. Right, but Urban Legend is where a slasher uses the, um, the, the specifics of certain urban legends to 
carry out thematic uh, serial killings. And so it's definitely a slasher film. There's no question about that. It's, it has all yeah. the tropes. It has the body count. It has uh, it has the final girl thing. But it also has the you don't know who the murderer is until the end, uh, which is not something that really lasted when you had like Jason, which is a straight up slasher. So it's not always necessary, but it definitely hits all of the sim- symptoms of a slasher. It's like uh, it's like a disease, right? Like certain types of films are like a disease. You check the box to say, okay, if it does this, it does this, and it does this, it kind of fits in this category. And then you can maybe talk about it and figure out if it really does. Um, but so yeah, Scream, and uh, I know what you did last summer, and Urban Legend are, to, in my mind, the the big three. So, what was your expectations of I know what you did last summer? I didn't have any expectations. It was just, it for some reason wasn't on my radar. I mean, I watched it the year it came out because we we watched horror movies in the in, in the house. I mean, that was our go-to when we rented film was horror movies. Um, and that's back when you could get a blockbuster or a movie gallery and you could go crazy and rent like five videos for five nights. It was great. Um, Do you remember when we rented Sling Blade? Yeah. Is that a slasher? No, no, it's not. Hold on. But we did think it was a slasher. We rented it at the video store, and we we watched it. And I remember being like really let down the first time I saw Sling Blade, but the second time I watched it, it was great. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I mean, to be fair, you get no context with the, the cover, and uh, that's true. It's not like we were watching TV spots for Sling Blade. We just weren't. It wasn't on our radar. Yeah, but anyway, so I know what you did last summer. It it felt a little more teen drama. And Scream's pretty teen drama-y to begin with. But I Know What You Did Last Summer felt like, really, the 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 television drama was definitely on display there. Which is something I'd like to mention. Like, yeah, these movies, the cast of them are, are pulled, for the most part, from TV. Including Courtney Cox, which was probably one of the bigger names. They're all pulled from television. And that's not a surprise with those two movies, because that's... Kevin Williamson, you know, wrote Scream. Mm-hmm. He wrote I Know What You Did Last Summer. Mm-hmm. He created Dawson's Creek. Which would have been on my third. Yeah, for sure. I I, gotta, I, I never watched Dawson's Creek, I'm, and I'm not putting it down if you did watch Dawson's Creek and you enjoyed it. But in my mind, based on not having watched it, I, I would not connect Scream and Dawson's Creek. What if I Know What You Did Last Summer was just like the movie – version of Dawson's Creek that he wanted to make with the characters that he he lamented having created and brought into this world. What if he went in there and he pitched I know what you did last summer and they're like this is this is I don't think we can sell this. And he's like, "Okay, take out all the killing." Yeah. And uh what are we left with? Well, we're just left with teen drama. Can you sell that? Yeah, we can sell that. We're going to do a really catchy theme song though. <laughs> okay. Um not to try to get back on track cuz there is no track. But it's interesting. One interesting fact I found about I Know What You Did Last Summer. So this is for anybody who really likes that movie. They might know it. It's not as huge a deep dive as you think you'd have to go to find it out. But I discovered it incidentally. Um, but and and I'll and I'll I'll uh, I'll I'll explain it in by way of like a trivia question. So my my here's my trivia question which i did put up on twitter and i don't think anybody responded to but that's fine because i have a follower i have less followers on twitter than there are in that village outside yeah and they actually follow you so the thing they that's do. the creepiest thing about the village yeah you can't you can't go to the baker or any of that stuff without just having the entire village follow you chanting always anyway what's your uh, trivia oh so when they released i still know what you did last summer which is the sequel to i know what you did last summer they released it with a novelization of I Still Know What You Did Last Summer. Excuse me, I need some water or something. <clears throat> so my question is, they did. well, my first is a statement. They did not release a novelization of I Know What You Did Last Summer at the same time as I Know What You Did Last Summer, the film came out. And my question to you is, why? I think they've had time to answer. I, I, I don't know. Uh, is it like a Lost World Jurassic Park type thing where they had to bring characters back to recreate it? No, no, no. 
uh, the reason they did not release a novelization of I Know What You Did Last Summer with the movie is because the novel I Know What You Did Last Summer was written and published in 1974. And it's not even really a slasher. Okay, continue. Yes. Okay, so the source material for I Know What You Did Last Summer, which I, I incidentally stumbled upon this when I found it in a, in a, uh, in a thrift store. I, I, bought, I bought it for like 10 cents and read it. It, it kind of follows the, the beats of I Know What You Did Last Summer, the source material. But it is not about – it's not a slasher film. Like they are stalked somewhat, but it has – they're not like stalked and murdered like, uh, you know – and, and and also, there's no man with a hook. Does someone they run over or hit with a car come back and start killing them? No. What? The person they hit is a little boy on a bicycle. And his brother, and I'm sorry, I'm spoiling the plot of uh, I Know What You Did Last Summer. Hold on, I'm going to check. The book, 1974. For a book, it's old enough. You can you can spoil it. I just checked with people. Okay. It's fine. Right. Um, but it's the brother, the older brother comes back from the war and... and, and he starts sending them messages and stalking them. Although I don't think anybody dies. One person is shot and maybe paralyzed, but he more or less just ruins their lives and almost murders the female protagonist. So, but so there is a final girl though. Yeah. There still is kind of a final girl. Although can you really be the final girl if you there? It's like, you're not the final person alive. If, if the worst thing that happened was someone was paralyzed. I'm not, I'm not, okay. You downplay. Hey, hey, do not minimalize someone being paralyzed. I apologize for him. He's been like this our whole life. You hear that? What is, what is that? Yeah, sorry. We hear some, it sounds like a child screaming, but I'm, I've been told by the caretaker and slash butler who actually came with the place, but he had a really good resume and it costs like pennies a, a day in American money to keep him on. Um, uh, he, seriously, great resume. 50 years here, 50 years there, 50 years with Frankenstein. Fantastic. Um, but I was told by the caretaker that whenever I hear what sounds like a, a child uh, screaming, it's actually just the old hinges and, you know, a draft blows through doors move. You know, so we need to probably need to oil the hinges. So that's all it is. Um, what, what, what was I saying? There's a lot of creaking in here for a stone building. I'm just saying. <laughs> well, you know. Maybe this is the haunted castle, and wouldn't it be ironic if Zach Baggins bought the wrong castle? I did not say his name. He remains nameless. <laughs> you shall not be named. Yes. Before we move on, there are a few things I'd like to uh, say about the book, since I brought that up. I know what you did last summer. It's written by Lois Duncan. I have a copy of it right here. You can look at it. You guys can't look at it. This is not—we don't have a budget for filming it. I mean, come on. Um, but— <clears throat> It's a, it's a suspense or a thriller type book. He stalks everybody, yes, uh, but he, he doesn't really, I think he doesn't, I don't think anybody dies. Uh, one person is paralyzed. He cuts, you remember the whole cutting uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar's hair thing from the movie? That's in here, but that's like his revenge against her, I guess, because she's vain. Oh, man. So, it's really asymmetrical so, so revenge. Reve- revenge is going to last a lifetime for sure. Yeah, like her hair is going to grow back. Dude can't walk. You know, not <laughs> sounds even. It, it, not symmetrical at all. Was dude driving, though, that can't walk? I don't, I don't remember. Okay. I don't remember. Honestly, uh, that's the uh, uh, Ryan, uh, what is it, Ryan Philippe? Ryan Philippe, I, can't, I don't know how to pronounce his name. I read it. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't hear it say, said often, but uh, enough anyway. Uh, but uh, it's his character. So he definitely gets like the worst of it, I think. And then Julie, which, yeah, I'm just going to spoil this book, but you know what? It's been out since 1974. It is, it, it, it's very recognizable as I know what you did last summer if I just read the back to you. But once you get into it, although it's hitting a lot of the same beats, it's really not the same thing. But, uh, but uh, the boyfriend, the new boyfriend, is the killer in this slash not killer because it doesn't kill anybody, but is the actually the older brother of the little boy they ran down who was on a bicycle. Um, and so, that you know, they, did, they just didn't tell anybody. Somehow he figured out it was them, and uh, he's playing the part of the boyfriend. So he's, he's uh, 
surprised. They're surprised. Although there is still the character who uh, I think Freddie Prince Jr.'s character, but they've broken up since the um, since, that, since they ran out that ran that little kid down on accident. Without spoiling anything, I I'm I I wonder if Kevin Williamson read this before he wrote a couple other movies. Um, it, we'll leave it at that. Speci- no, but specifically what movies now? Because I'm curious. Scream. Oh yeah. Scream two. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. Man, you might have something there. Yeah, I don't know. It's up in the air. Either way, those were great movies, and the, the existence of a book from 1974 does not d- detract from how great those movies are. Uh, speaking of how great they are. Okay, at this point, some people might be saying, why are you focusing very specifically on Scream? I know what you did last summer, Urban Legend. Why that period from 96 to about 2000? And I'll tell you why. Uh, Although, I'll let you give your theory. Here's my theory to why this is the case. It's just a little, it's just this one little bump in the late 90s that you get a few years of a return to slasher films, which were so prevalent in the 1980s. It really started in in the the very late 70s, but really hit their stride after uh, Friday the 13th in uh, 1980. Uh, By the which, by uh, by the way, I I meant to mention this also, uh, and we're going to save this for... Hold on, I like that one saying better, by the witch. By the witch. By the witch, damn it. Don't say witch so loudly, the villagers will hear you. Okay, yeah. But, uh, uh, But, by the way... The uh, the Friday the Thirteenth series is an interesting is an interesting series that we definitely will will do something on. We're going to talk about eighty slashers. I know everybody loves eighty slashers. We're going to talk about the weird ones. Sometimes we might talk about one movie. We might talk about a franchise. Right now, we're talking about these, but we're setting those aside for now. And after that, like the prevalence of the eighties, the everybody getting kind of tired or being fatigued by it. it's kind of like the Marvel movies. I'm just fatigued by them. Not that they weren't enjoyable or entertaining, but at some point fatigue sets in when you have, have like 10 years of something. And, uh, so we just set them to the side for a little while. Um, but once you start getting into the nineties and you get to a certain point where there's just this one little bump in 1996, you have scream comes out. And it pretty much reinvents the slasher by making everything old, new again. And you have the slick Hollywood slashers. A lot of the 1980s slashers aren't so slick. The budgets are much lower than what you're getting with Scream. Maybe not Scream specifically, but I know what you did last summer. Movies made after Scream definitely had maybe a larger budget than most of the 1980s. And you don't have as many indie slashers. So it's definitely a whole different time period. Yeah, it's, slashers. that's weird. Also, I would say that um, now that I'm just thinking about it, the 90s in general, other than that little bump, uh, were not huge for horror that wasn't direct-to-video. Mm-hmm. Or, no, that's pretty much a direct-to-video, a lot of direct-to-video horror mm-hmm. in the 90s. Yeah, because a lot of the VHS that was like horror that was newer horror that we would rent in the 90s, I think you'd see some like Full Moon Entertainment stuff and that was almost always direct-to-video um, and it might have just always been direct to, to video, but yeah, it wasn't mo- mainstream horror wasn't that big. I guess there was a bigger in the suspense and th- thriller. I guess was just bigger at the time. Trading out your fear for slashers or hor- horrific things like demons and spirits and stuff for tense or suspenseful moments, and you know you still get that human element like with the slasher, but it's not over the top. Uh, but then, of course, okay, but then you have something that happens that kind of ends this little period that we're talking about. I guess if there's a thesis, we're talking about that there's a reason why this exists and it's one little time period. It's a little bubble. It's Wes Craven decided to direct something that was a take on slashers and the writer, whose name is? Kevin Williamson. I always have a hard time remembering Kevin Williamson's name. I apologize. Um uh, you have him also being instrumental in many of those movies at that time, but that starts a little, a little uh, reaction to where you get a few years of slashers, um, and that peters out probably through because of diminishing returns. But there's 
maybe other reasons why it peters out. I don't know. I've really thought about it. Maybe you have. Critically, yeah, I'd say. Um, this is still in the – people don't remember this who weren't alive, obviously, but some people who were alive don't remember. This is still in the heyday of uh, Ebert uh, and uh, – Siskel and Ebert, Ebert and Roper. Um, no relation. Yeah. The critics around this time, most of them, a lot of them actually, hate slasher movies. They hate – a lot of them hate genre films in general. So um, – Critically, a lot of these movies that aren't screen basically are get panned critically. Did, I, I haven't checked, and I need to revisit this. But um, did Scream was Scream favorably received? I know by most people it probably was, but by uh, Roger Ebert is actually my, my most curious because he was like the most adamantly anti uh, slasher uh, person out there or critic out there. I'm not sure. It would not surprise me if he had a bad take on it. Um, but sorry, going back to what you were saying. Yeah. Um, so like, it's really strange that little bump, but also like critically, these things aren't, are panned, but also like the things that get remade scream is, is a box office success. Uh, it gets a sequel a year later, the same year. I know what you did last summer comes up. All the the sequels did have diminishing returns. You're right about that, and and then interest just wanes. And I have a I have a theory on why that is, but you go ahead and uh, if you want to, I can give you that right now. But yeah, I haven't really thought of a reason why it happens, except that maybe something was supplanted by something else uh, became more popular, a certain type of movie. But I really have haven't thought about it. Um, what do you think? I think yeah, independent horror that shows up in the very late '90s and 2000s. I'm not talking independent. Like low budget, like Blue Mouse? schlock. Oh no, not I'm not Blue talking Mouse. about schlock. I'm talking about stuff like the Blair Witch Project shows up. Oh yeah, Ginger Snaps, no. May. These movies that that move into a bunch of independent uh, companies and 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 directors making horror movies, and that and it being circulated amongst people that that like that become popular. Big budget horror movies basically live and die right there in those three or four years um, until they start doing remakes later. Yeah, remakes. But the Hills Have Eyes, right. Texas and, Chainsaw Massacre. So I would obviously exclude anything that was a remake from the from what we're talking about as being a new a new horror, a nouveau, new neo. Sounds kind of pretentious. How about just nineties, late nineties horror, new horror, um, new slasher? Sorry, new slasher. Yeah, new slasher. You want to go to new slasher. Uh, after that, you're going to have to go to um, wrong turn or something like that. Yeah. Right? Right. Uh, okay, that's interesting. What? Well, is wrong, so is wrong turn a slasher? Oh, we could have that conversation now. I don't know if we should because I think that's the same conversation we have to have about um, whether Texas Chainsaw Massacre is a slasher. But I think... Wrong Turn's more of a slasher than Texas Chainsaw Massacre, for sure. Okay, yeah, we can have that conversation late, later. Um, all right, so that's why we've settled on this very specific period, uh, 96 to, I guess, around 2000. You know what else happened in, I guess, around 2000 is, um, was that Final Destination came out? And you could make an argument that that's a slasher film, uh, that it's like death is stalking and killing um, these teenagers in uh in you know in in uh, creative ways and 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 that's actually a perfectly valid argument but uh but there's just definitely something that makes it feel more because it's supernatural and because it's it's like you don't see the it's not like Jason or even Freddy Krueger Freddy Krueger's obviously super supernatural but just see him he's got his glove he's got his his wacky hijinks for in the later films or in number three, actually, is pretty wacky, but that's a that's actually a really good movie. Um, but but he's there physically, or not physically, but he's there. He's he's represented by something, a thing that is stalking, a person that is stalking and killing these teenagers. You don't really have that with the Final Destination stuff. It just feels like it's more about the elaborate. Um, Kills and I'm really talking myself into <laughs> considering it a slasher. All of a sudden, I don't know. I think it, it has more in common with Japanese horror than it does slasher oh, and curse uh, films. It's more like a curse film. Yeah. Okay. The curse is you cheated death. Fuck oh. you. You can't. You know what else happened? What we got the ring. That's uh, true. The ring. Yeah. 
Oh, Japanese horror became super big yeah. in the late nineties. Very and big. Were, there were became a they started making a ton of remakes of the Jap, American remakes of the Japanese horror films. The Grudge, and those are all cursed, cursed ghost uh, type spiritual horror stuff. So I think that's probably just a shift yeah. in what was popular, or what, you know, so something comes out, it makes bank. Makes it's big, different. It's yeah. different enough in the moment. It makes bank. Studios ape it as long as they can. Till they get the diminishing returns and they jump on something new. That's that's the that's the story of of your your home box office sales, uh, direct to video diminishing returns stuff. That's the story of your your cinema um, with the big the big companies making horror. They will jump on something as long as it makes a profit enough of a profit, a good profit for its price, and then they'll jump off of it because. They they follow the tastes. When did you trends. become so cynical? I just think that's the way. No. Obviously, uh, no. Uh, so, and I, you just actually that's that's a great point, and you just made me think of something else, which is um, Michael Eisner ruined Disney with direct to video sequels. Good point. <laughs> uh, that's not even a tangent. I don't know what that is. That's a that's a right angle. Is <laughs> it had to be said. It had to. Be, it did have to be said. Uh, okay, but. You made me lose my train of thought. It's okay. But we can't, we have to fill the silence because if you don't fill the silence, then other things start to fill the silence in this drafty old castle. So, and that's never a good thing. Yeah. And you start to wonder what is that scratching on the wall? What is that scratching on the wall? Rats, probably rats. Where? Where are the rats? I don't know. There's stone walls. Best to not think about it, I feel. Okay. You know, uh, I, you know what, from now on, I'm just going to assume everything is a rat. Um, it, psychologically, that's same, that seems safe. Uh, no, so the point you made was diminishing returns, and, it got, it, and so that just made me think that the 80s had a much longer period where it was acceptable, those diminishing returns were acceptable, and... You have about four years for those those later the new slasher type movies, and so my now I'm thinking, what allowed the the um, the, uh, the run for so long from like seventy eight to about ninety with the uh, the slasher films the the first slasher films and then the, the 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 franchises, and then why did it have such a short run with the from like ninety six to two thousand with the uh, with the new slashers. I mean, well, I, I, I don't have an answer for that because, I mean, this is... But if I'm guessing, if I'm guessing, um, there are companies that operated differently in the 80s. They would acquire overseas money, much like independent films do today, and then they would pump out movies. Uh, they were privately fan financed by a lot of people instead of having big... And studios like, for instance, Canon. And what happened to those studios... Well, they're, they're gone now. They're all on. They all went under. <laughs> yeah, I would say that's probably. Oh, I guess that's not a long-term viable way to make your movies. Uh, Death might, Wish Three couldn't save them. But that's not fair because Cannon was killed by Breaking Two. So uh, Electric Boogaloo. Electric Boogaloo. It doesn't have to be said. It it has soon, to be as said. soon as you say uh, Breaking Two, Breaking Two, everybody in their head they say it. Electric Boogaloo. So you don't have to say it out loud. It's already there. Um, well, actually, so I'm thinking of a different reason, maybe. Uh, you're probably right about what you said, too. Uh, they're way more mainstream in the, uh, in the 90s than they were instead of being kind of indie or anybody could produce a slasher film in the, in the 80s. In fact, everybody did produce a slasher film in the 80s. But in the, uh, in the late 90s, it was the big studios. And, well, it wasn't the big studios. If you, it depends on what you want to call it. Like, if you'd consider Dimension and Miramax to not be big studios, that's not... I mean, come on. They are. They just have an indie flair to them. They like indie directors. But they used to... By the time you get all those early 90s indie directors in those companies making movies through the 90s, they're more or less big-budget films at that point. I mean, not... You know, they're, they're big-budget indie films, so they might as well just be Hollywood movies. That's what they are. Um, because, you know, it's so sterile. There's a sterile feel to some of those are a cleaner, sleek, sleeker image, group-tested image to those 90s slashers that don't you don't have with the 80s. So maybe that has something to do with it. Like, the appeal for the 80s movies 
were that you were going to go watch this movie and it was going to, a bunch of young teen people were going to die and your parents did not approve of that probably. But all the parents from like the late 90s grew up probably watching movies from late 70s on and uh, they didn't care if a bunch of teenagers got murdered. That sounds like a fine movie. We'll get some popcorn. So if it's not maybe ta as taboo and it's not as grungy, it's a little sleeker, a little more play-tested and a little more uh, socially acceptable, there's no stigma attached to it. Maybe it's just it can't last as long. I don't know. That's a, that's a theory. I just Yeah, and before we get right back on topic, which I'm sure we're going to do, mm -hmm. um, you mentioned the parents in these films. In the slasher movies of the 90s, there are no parents almost. It's like any movie of the 90s. It's like the teen comedies of the 90s, except for I think that's true. American Pie with Eugene. Here's what I would say. I think you have a point there. Um, not so much in Scream because you have to have the dad. But then the dad kind of just goes away and becomes something of a suspect. Yeah, it's like a John Hughes movie, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Where are the parents? These kids are going crazy. Um, they're dying. You do, do you ever wish that John Hughes had written a slasher film? I don't think he could have. No? Okay. Um, but, uh, but, uh, was it this South, South End Slash? South uh, Shoveler, South Bend Shoveler? Yeah. Yeah, he almost, he kind of almost wrote one. But, uh, uh, but no, like, but like, you're right. And I know what you did last summer it's like the older sister is the voice of reason. Where's the fucking parents? Uh, they're around. I mean, I'm sure you see them, but I just can't remember them. And then uh, Urban Legend takes place at college, so you don't even have to think of a reason to not have the parents around then. I mean, at that point, it almost would disqualify it from, um, from being a teen slasher type film because these, kids, these guys, are they, they're, like, they're out of the high school. They're, they're, they're gone into college, but you know. Yeah, but here's the thing. I know it sounds crazy because there's a lot integral to the plot of urban legend uh, for it being on campus with everything from the college radio to – but you could take most of that and just put it in high school with, with the drama going on and the, the click – the clickiness. Well, the importance of it being on the college campus and urban legends is so they can talk about urban legends and it can be a little self-referential, which kind of brings you back to another thing that those 90s slashers have is they want to talk about – the shit that's going on without it being like direct exposition. So like you have a whole scene where uh, Robert England plays the professor talking about different urban legends. And then you get some of that, you get, those are some of that, some of that is set up for some payoff uh, with some actual kills and things like that, or some, some things you see in the film. Uh, so it's exposition a little bit. It's a little bit of setup. But at the same time, it's also just addressing what the movie's about, which is urban legends, or murdering thematically without using urban legends. So, I mean, it kind of has to be on a campus that you have a good reason to have that character telling everybody the exposition or telling everybody the things they need to know for the movie to work. It, it's easier if it's just a professor and it's in a classroom. And I mean, I yeah, I, I now that I'm thinking about it. Another thing that makes a slasher movie and which what ties these together is is the way people are killed versus just them being killed. Hmm. So it may be a garage door has something to do with it, uh, you know. That one still gets me. I don't think that's physically possible. You're okay. This is this is definitely a tangent, but I think most garage doors at that point for sure had spring mechanisms that had to be tightened or untightened in order to lift a specific weight. So I'm pretty sure she was too heavy. For that door to go up, um, it would have probably just broken. Actually, what would have would have happened is it might have just collapsed the entire. What happened in Scary Movie as a as a as a gag probably would have actually happened in real life. Who is that? Rose Rose McGowan. It was Rose McGowan. Yeah, yeah. She she was all right. Yep. She did okay for herself. Jawbreaker. Jawbreaker, Jawbreaker was a yeah. You know what? This is becoming this is becoming that sketch on Saturday Night Live with uh, Chris Farley. I'm just gonna say a movie to you, or you're just gonna say, "Remember that time? That was awesome." That's fair. Um, but Urban Legends, back to it. Okay. Um, it is kind of. I feel like a lot of people see it as kind of the dark horse. It comes later. It comes two years later from Scream. It's a year on the hills of after. Uh, I know what you did last summer. 
people are starting to get tired of slashers. It's like they an urban legend comes and it's it's a good movie in my opinion. It I don't think it's it's a, a critical success uh, as far as like I mean the audiences like the movie. It feels like every movie they make after Scream is more removed from Scream in the sense that what made it um, viable as a as a slasher to to be different from those slashers from the eighties and to still be um, interesting. Um, it's like, it feels a little farther removed. And so at some point it feels like there was a little parody in, uh, in Scream. And by the time you get to Urban Legend, it, that whole sense of awareness is kind of gone. The parody feels like it's kind of gone out of it. Yeah. Having said that, I kind of prefer Urban Legend over I Know What You Did Last Summer. So. I think I do too. Um, as a, here's what I will say. Uh, I when I was younger and I watched I know what you did last summer I enjoyed it more. Today I think watching Urban Legend now I I get more from it as a as a as a slasher than I get from I know what you did last summer. Um okay, can I just say also that Urban Legend works in the sense that we're all acknowledging that the the whole theme of the movie is urban legends and they get to play with that a lot. And it seems like urban legends have just, I don't know that urban legends exist even anymore, or like the modern, modern urban legends probably exist in their own right. What are they, creepypasta? I don't know. Man, I'm, I'm really feeling like an old man saying this, but it's like, it's like when you used to get a chain letter and, you know, someone would leave it on your car and it'd be like, uh, you gotta write 10 of these copies and send them out to put them on other people's cars. Otherwise you'll be cursed with bad luck. Or usually it was like, or you're going to die. Or, yeah. I don't know what it was. But. You got a girl that called you on the phone and whispered seven days. Yeah. Yeah, so curses. Uh, but people used to take that shit to heart because we're all very, I mean, it, you could be the most like science-loving, fact-enjoying person. Let's do some research. Let's get in there and figure it out uh, and test it and fail to disprove something kind of person. But at the end of the day, if you're sitting around in the dark and someone sent you a letter that says, if you copy, if you don't copy this, uh, you're going to, you know, you're going to be, you're going to have break your leg or you're going to die in a car accident or something. Or your mother's going to die in a car accident uh, or your brother's going to die in a car accident. Uh, you're sitting in the dark looking at that. You're like, you know what? Maybe I'm, it's what? It's going to take five minutes to do this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like when even now, you know, you, if you're walking down the street and you're thinking, you know, You've been practicing your whole life not stepping on cracks so that mom's okay. Um, yeah, how many people do you know that don't uh, walk under ladders and will not and get, just freak out if you brush their feet with a broom? That one might be. I don't know if that's specific to region. We, we, I don't. I don't think they've gathered that we're in the south. But if you haven't, we're in the south. Uh, and I don't know if that's specific to all kinds of people, superstition wise. But South Southern Europe. Yeah, that's what I know. But we're from the south. Oh, okay. Yeah, if you sweep somebody's. Uh, feet with a broom it's uh you know there's various different things but it's always that nobody likes it it's bad either either it's just rude too just rude too well if you've got on nice sneakers it's very rude uh almost unforgivable yeah i agree okay so you're right urban legend seems removed and i'll give you a good mental uh game to play in your head right now and for the people listening at home think of the most iconic killer from those three movies because we know we have jason we have michael myers we have freddy krueger we have all these icons in slasher films now out of those three 90s uh those three 90s um we'll say uh, franchises mm-hmm. that you can i mean they yeah they each got three movies at varying times at four or five for a couple but out of those franchises um Who's the most iconic killer? You still see costumes of them today. Oh, it's Ghostface, yeah. Ghostface. After that, is it the guy with the hook or the guy whom has a parka on? Uh, yeah. I mean, I guess it'd be the guy with the hook. There you go. And then, I should say person in a parka. Um, but that whole look changes in, in Urban Legends' final cut anyway, so no one cares, right? So that's how... That's how in, uh, un, like inconsequential it was to the to the movie to begin with. Um, so there you go. If you want to just like see it get further removed from from being something kind of new or unique enough to to hold a, an audience, I think that's a good way to think of it. Just in the the killer themselves. I never thought about that, but you know, also I'm thinking now 
ghost face we call ghost face. He's got a ghost face, Clint. What and, do you but, want? But I don't think his name was ghost face. I don't think anybody ever called him ghost Spoiler. face. Spoiler. Don't say it. Don't say his no, name. Don't stop it. I'm not spoiling it and stop trying to paint me like I'm, I'm spoiling Scream. I feel bad about that. Um, but no, Ghostface is Ghostface. But I think we just arrived as a as a as a as a community to call him Ghostface. I don't remember if anybody ever called him Ghostface. Right. And what's the name of the guy with the hook on the hand that wears a a sea a seaman's uh, um, wears a uh, uh, it's getting sticky. It's getting again. sticky in here again. It's all the semen. Um, who who's wearing the uh, I don't know what it is, man. It's like a one of those coats that keeps you from getting wet on a ship. Yeah. What, about uh, it? what is his name? Hook hand? We don't have a name for him. I, do I, we? Feel, I feel like he has a name. But he has I, a name. He has a name in what we call him as the person he's supposed to be in the film. He's you're the, right. You're right. I don't. I. You know what? Uh, if you're out there and you he has a name and you know it and you're shouting it right. You're now. shouting it right now. Just I don't know. Tweet me uh, at Harry Roper, H E R R Hair Roper, uh, and. Uh, you can. I'll learn about it that way. Um, right. But definitely park a person doesn't have Yeah, one. there's nothing there, right? Although I think now we should definitely – I think park a person should be be the, the name for it. You know what? Let's put a poll up on Twitter and see if we can – with a couple of options and see if we can get some community – like the, we can get some actual consensus from the horror community. Right, yeah. One. Ghostface has a knife. I'm pulling for park a person yeah. now. But. Hook hand guy has a hook thing that he keeps in his hand – that they used to drag heavy tuna over the side of a ship when they catch it or something. I don't know what it's for. Um, and park a person, weapon, go ahead. Varies, doesn't it? It varies, but but that's because the murders themselves are creative and revolve around the, uh, the urban legends. So, you know, if I definitely remember an axe at some point, right? There was an axe. At yeah, some sure. Point. Yeah. So, um, I got, we have to rewatch urban legend. Uh, it's been years. And really that's what talking about horror and like uh, on Twitter and as a community does to you. You talk about these things and you're like, man, I've got to go back and watch this. If it's been a long time, even if it hasn't been that long, I get to, I get the feeling it's been way too long since I've seen. It definitely has been too long since I, it's, I've seen I Know What You Did Last Summer, for sure. Uh, I read the book, uh, again, by Lois Duncan. I read that, I think, two years ago. Um, and that, and it's been longer bef- since then. It's been longer than that before, uh, since I've seen, uh, I know what you did last summer. I've actually seen, I think I still know what you did last summer last was the I, you know, last one I saw, I've seen. And I did not, I did not bother watching. I will always know what you did last summer. And I have my reasons for that, but that's basically on the, the print, the print you know, premise of the movie. Okay. So. Have we established anything? Yes, we've established that there was this weird pocket. little little pocket of time from 96 to 1999, roughly. I mean, you can count 2000 because Urban Legend, I think Final Cut, comes out in 2000. And I think, I want to say, I know, I think Scream 3 comes out in 2001. So we'll say 2000 as popularity goes, The as far as the movies actually being decent and gathering an audience and garnering a sequel 1996 to 1999 to or 2000 so three or four years there's that little pocket in which spurred on almost single-handedly by uh kevin williamson and with help from from the great director and just by name also wes craven creates this this little push of of this self-referential horror um, and slashers that shows up and is gone. It's like a flash. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I think we also established that we believe that has something to do with maybe uh, changing trends. One and is changing trends in what was becoming popular. You do get your like Japanese horror movies start to become popular and then be remade around the same time that this little pocket's happening, and so. And that actually continues throughout the early 2000s. Uh, you have, you have your, your movies like Hostel and um, Saw, uh, and Saw, which people have described as torture porn. Uh, but yeah, they're fun movies. Uh, 
those become popular, and those are definitely not slashers. And then on the indie scene, where you would usually possibly be able to find some horror back, uh, or uh, there's plenty of indie slashers back in the day in the eighties. They're not doing slashers. Yeah, they're not doing slashers. They're doing more artistic, independent horror, where it's like more about coming of age stories and anything that a you know. I can't say enough positive things about Ginger Snaps, though. That is just because I love werewolf movies, and in a world where you don't have enough werewolf movies, and the werewolf movies you have are very many of them are questionable quality, (laughs) and they're all called the Howling. Almost, they. I mean, let's. We don't. We can go into that later. Uh, we will go into it later. Uh, Ginger Snaps is a solid werewolf movie, so uh, which has nothing to do with what we've been talking about today. So I think it's about time to call it a night, mainly because I see a glow in the horizon, and sometimes that means that our uh, the villagers like to come by and remind us that um, they're still here and that in a very like peaceful and. Um, and uh, celebratory way, they like to light a few torches. So I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll let you have the last word or the last thought. Um, and so, go. Yeah, I think, um, I think it's good to have these conversations. But I think also it, when, I talk, when we talk about this kind of thing, it just makes me want to go back and watch these movies. Uh, and, and specifically, I need to know more. I need to know more about about these little, I, I searched night and day. I can only find these three franchises mostly for, for slasher. And I'm not talking about some crazy, like actual C movie guy shot it off a freaking video camera and somehow it made its way into blockbuster back in the day. I mean, this is all I could think of when it came to 90 slashers, actual slashers. 